This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, podcast featuring women in sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And I'm excited to be back with you today for another episode of Worth Recovery. I was reminded recently because I recently celebrated my seven year anniversary. Thank you very much, right? Seven years of sexual sobriety, uh, December 2nd. I just recently celebrated that and I was really excited. Um, These anniversaries can be really motivating for me. They can also be sometimes discouraging. Uh, Sometimes they bring up hard memories because of the events that lead up to us getting sober. Sometimes those events are not super great. And so they bring up some negative memories as well. As we, you know, had some negative events that are problems or issues that led us to acting out, which then led us to the shame, which then led us into recovery. And so it can be a mix of emotions and a mix of feelings as we hit some of these sobriety dates. So if that's you, if you've recently celebrated a sobriety date and you've had a mix of emotions, um, I want you to know that that's totally normal. Um, A lot of people do. Sometimes they get really excited. Sometimes they get really discouraged. Sometimes they get discouraged because, you know, it's seven years and they're not where they wanted to be in seven years, or they're not where they think they should be. They're kind of comparing. Sometimes we're really excited and we're really motivating and we think, oh man, I made it a year, like a whole year. What else can I do, right? Like I can do anything if I can make it sexually sober for a whole year. And so sometimes these anniversaries can be really great motivating events and sometimes they can also cause some discouragement or some depression for us. Again, no matter what it is, that's totally normal, right? Totally normal. So gather, you know, yourself together and say like, okay, these are, maybe I'm not where I want to be and where do I want to be and make a plan to get there. And maybe, you know, you're super motivated and that's awesome. So be really intentional about your next step so you can make it even further whatever it is that you're struggling with. And if you just need to be sad for a while, let yourself be sad for a while. I think that all of those things are normal human emotion expression. And a lot of times we try to make that look a certain way when in reality, it just needs to be the way it is. Recently though, when I had my seven year anniversary mark, as I do on every year, I went through and evaluated my bottom line behaviors because as we're in addiction, in any addiction, and as we're in recovery and we're moving forward, I think it's important that we take some time and really evaluate where we're at and see if this is working for us. Early on in recovery, I met a guy named Ryan at a meeting that I used to go to quite often and The thing that he said that always has stayed with me is my sobriety is the list of things that I'm not doing and my recovery 
is the list of things that I am doing. That has always really, really impacted me because if I just focus on the things that I'm not doing in recovery, uh, that list of nots, then I leave this big void in my life, this big hole of what is it that I am actually doing. Um, I just have this empty hole, all these things I'm not doing. And if I don't intentionally fill that with things, then I'm just going to have this empty hole and sooner or later I'm going to fall and trip back in it. And our goal is to fill up that hole, right? And to fill it up with things that allow us to be the person that we want to be and to move forward. So I wanted to talk to you today about the tool that I've developed uh, to really establish your bottom lines and look at what your behaviors are around your acting out. Now, there are lots of different models of sobriety and there's lots of different models of what your bottom line behaviors are. And that depends sometimes on the 12-step fellowship that you go to or what it is you're doing with your therapist. And and I, I'm not here to try to replace anything that's working for you, right? Because there are lots of different models out there and there's lots of different models for a reason because each of us is different and each of us needs to find and connect with the model that works for us, with the behaviors that work for us, uh, with the sobriety that works for us. So some fellowships use a common sobriety definition meaning that everybody lives by the same sobriety definition. Some use different models. Um, The SAA uses kind of the three circle model um, to really look at your behaviors. Uh, What, you know, what are the behaviors you're not going to do? Um, What, what are the behaviors you need to be doing? So I like that model too, because it it looks at uh, both sides of that coin. And there, you know, there are other models as well. Those are the two that I am most familiar with. But I know that there are other models as well as far as how you're counting your sobriety and and what matters to you. I found in trying to establish your sobriety and your bottom line behaviors that you needed to know not just how you, not just those bottom line behaviors, the ones that you don't want to do anymore, but also what are the kind of those pathways that get you to those bottom line behaviors. And so I developed a worksheet, which is free right now on my website. Um, It's free in the show notes. There's a link to it in the show notes. Uh, If you have it in front of you, that would be awesome. If not, I'll talk you through it and you can listen to it later um, and you can look at it later as well. But there's instructions. This, this is the model that I use with my coaching clients, uh, those that, are, that I'm working with to stabilize their life and really get them on a path moving forward. This is the model that I use. And I use it for a couple reasons. I wanted it to be fellowship neutral. So I didn't want to use something that a particular fellowship was using, a 12-step fellowship. When I say fellowship, that's what I mean. I hope you know that. But if not, that's what I mean. I didn't want to use something that a 12-step fellowship was using for copyright infringement purposes, but also that's unique to them. And also, I don't really love every model. I don't really love those models. There are some good things about each of those models, but they're um, also some things that just haven't worked for me. And so I used something else. So again, this has the instructions on it, and then it also uh, has a worksheet, like an example, and then it has one for you to fill out. So there's three pages. So the exercise that I call this, what I call it is leveling your behavior, right? So 
leveling can be a couple different things. <laughs> On the worksheet, there's four levels of behaviors that we're going to look at. Uh, we're going to look at uh, level what we call level one behaviors, which are kind of triggering events that happen in our lives. We're going to look at level two behaviors, which are those feelings that come from those triggering events. So we call them trigger feelings. Uh, we're going to look at level three behaviors, which is what we call slip behaviors. And then we look at level four, which is like our bottom line behaviors, things that we're not going to do. When we fill out this worksheet, I typically have them start from the bottom and move up. And I'm going to walk you through that in a second. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to talk about this process of evaluating your sobriety and your bottom line and what's working for you or not. Now, I, um, so from a personal standpoint, right, I, my first 12-step fellowship was the SA Fellowship, Sexaholics Anonymous, and they use a common definition of sobriety, which includes no sex with self, so no masturbation, or others that, with whom you're not legally married to, um, and that's their definition, so that's what they define. Um, I found some problems with that in the idea that I know a lot of couples that um, are married and are having sex and it's not healthy sex. Um, I found a lot of women, particularly for women, I can't speak for men because I don't coach men. I mean, I, I do coach men. I have a couple clients that I coach, but I've not talked to men on the same volume of women, right? Like I've talked to hundreds of women in sex addiction, men, not so many. So, and I haven't talked to them about the intimate details of things like I have with women. And so sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to speak for men. That's all I'm saying with that is I just don't want to speak for men, but for women, I know a lot of women that have sex with their husbands and it's not great sex. I know a lot of women that have sex with their husbands and they don't want to be having sex with their husbands, but they feel like they have to. And so they do. Um, I know a lot of, you know, couples who have serious intimacy problems and yet we can not address any of those in the SA fellowship because we're still living a sober life. We're sober according to that definition. And so some of these other issues sometimes go unaddressed. And I don't love that. However, when you, we get to define our own sobriety and some of the other fellowships, without accountability to someone and without true, like, you know, understanding um, of, of what we're doing, we sometimes define it too loosely or too broad. And we never actually go through withdrawal because we're still feeding our lust or our addiction on some level. And that's a problem too, right? And so how do you fix that? Well, you fix that by first of all, having someone to help you, to hold you accountable, whether that's a sponsor, whether that's a recovery coach, whether that's a therapist, someone to hold you responsible and accountable. You've got to get really, really honest with yourself and what is preventing, what is causing problems for you. And then I have found that you need to really get reflective on this question. And this is the question that I ask my clients when they were filling this out. In order to live the life I want to be living, what sexual and or relational behaviors do I need to stop? So in order to live the life I want to be living, 
What sexual and or relational behaviors do I need to stop? That's the question. So in order to live the life you want to be living, what needs to stop? Those behaviors that need to stop, we have them list them out. And then we have them write in the form of what we call bottom line behaviors. These are things that we will not do. And if you participate in these behaviors, this counts as a relapse and we commit to resetting your sobriety date. This can be a variety of things. I call these on the worksheet, we call them level four behaviors. So here's some examples. I will not have sex of any kind with anyone outside of my marriage. Uh, Maybe it says, I will not stalk my ex or any other men on social media. Maybe it says, I will not have masturbation. I will not masturbate. Maybe it says, I will not read romance novels or erotica. Whatever it is. Maybe it says, I will not, you know, like a relational thing that you want to stop, right? So I will not force my spouse to have sex if they don't want to right? Maybe it's, I will accept no the first time from your spouse if they don't want to have sex. There's a variety of things that could go in here. Maybe it's, I will not view pornography of any kind. Or maybe it's, I will not participate in BDSM behaviors or rape fantasies. You get to decide what it is you need to stop in order to start living the life that you want to be living. Now, these are behaviors that you're going to write down and you're going to commit to that if you participate in these behaviors, then you're going to reset your sobriety date, like completely reset, counts as a relapse. Some of the behaviors, um, like I said, I started an essay, so my sobriety definition was uh, no masturbation, no sex outside of marriage. Some of the sobriety things I had to add to that, though, because that wasn't enough to keep me safe. That wasn't enough for me to withdraw, for me to stay sober. So some of the things I had to add, um, no pornography. I will not look at pornography. No erotica. I will not read, write, participate, listen to any kind of erotica. That was one I had to put on there. Um, Also, from the very beginning, I put on there that I would not engage in online dating. That was a real, that was a way that I found a lot of acting out partners. And so from the beginning, I had to say like, I will not engage in online dating of any kind. At that time, Craigslist had personal ads. They don't anymore. That's one of the best things ever. But um, I had to put that on there too. So it meant I couldn't go like I, like one of my bottom lines was I will not go to Craigslist, period. Like not even to look for things for sale, nothing. I will not go to Craigslist because I knew that where it would lead me. These are the things that I had on some of my bottom line behaviors. So that's the very first thing you do, right? Is you decide what it is you need to stop, okay? I would also recommend, some people ask me like, well, I also need to address my, you know, food addiction or my gambling or my spending or my alcoholism. Yeah, for sure, you need to. And I would say deal with the top, what we call the top plate first, right? So what is, what's the causing the most problems in your life right now? Deal with that one first. And then you just work down, right? So we'll start with the one that's dealing the most problems first. And then as 
as we get somewhat of a handle on that one, we can start to add things as well. Okay, now we move up one level. So we say level three, right? Once I have my level four list done, my bottom line behaviors defined, I then move up to level three. And we call level three our slip behaviors. So these are behaviors that, you know, I'm not gonna reset my sobriety, but they still are incredibly dangerous. They typically lead us to act out um, and cross those bottom line behaviors. And so we want to list as many as we can that are those dangerous behaviors that lead us down that pathway, right? So um, for me, like going to lunch alone with a male coworker, that was one of the first ones that I had on my list. When I went to loan a lunch with a male coworker, I would end up in some kind of fantasy. Nothing about them. It was all about me, right? It was all about me. Um, if I, you know, I would fantasize typically about them. And so I just had to kind of draw a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to do this, right? Um, some of the other slip behaviors that I have had in the past would be um, intentional fantasy. So I would intentionally put myself, you know, in a fantasy situation where I was thinking about things. Uh, that was a problem for sure. That was a problem. Um, other slip behaviors would be, you know, anytime I was online in a, um, chatting a situation where I was chatting with people, I would tend to get overly flirtatious. So that was a problem. Uh, there were just other problem behaviors that I knew were causing me to end up in the bottom line behaviors. And so I put those down on my level threes and those became my slip behaviors. Now, if I engaged in it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't crossing a line, but I, I was getting really close to the line. I was like on the line and holding on and like putting my foot on the other side, right? So I had to start getting real serious about what those behaviors look like and I list them. Okay, and then I go up one more level and I say, okay, level two. Level two feel are trigger feelings. And these feelings act as indicators in our lives. When we handle and process emotions as they surface, we're able to find meaning and growth. But when we don't, uh, we can choose behaviors to act out our emotions. So we have you list some of the emotions, emotions that might lead to some of your slip behaviors. So for instance, like loneliness. For me, that was a big one. When I felt lonely, I wanted to get online and I wanted to chat or I wanted to talk or I wanted to go to lunch with male coworkers or, right? You see how kind of that creates this pathway, right? Like when I feel lonely, these are the unhealthy behaviors I would engage in. Um, anxiety. Anxiety was a huge one for me. Anxiety would lead to binging out on movies or TV. That's a huge, that's a huge slip behavior for me. When I start losing time to binging on movies or TV shows, I have to be really careful about that. Um, when I'm feeling controlled. So when I'm feeling like someone is trying to manipulate or control me, that's a trigger feeling for me. That leads to me wanting to um, either exert control on someone else or just like abandon the situation, kind of run away. Uh, that's a slip behavior I have, like ghosting type of things. So we come up with this list of trigger feelings that lead to our slip behaviors. And as you're doing this, you'll start to see some pathways that kind of have developed for you, right? Like when I'm feeling 
rejection, then I like to do this, and then that leads to my bottom line behavior, right? And then we go one more level up to level one, and we call these trigger events. So triggers are events that happen in our lives that cause some kind of emotional discomfort. And let me say, like, I use the word discomfort, but it's just kind of an extreme emotional reaction because I know a lot of really happy events that have been trigger events for people. So any kind of event that brings up a lot of emotion is going to be a trigger event. You may have some events that you know cause clear emotional discomfort. Um, you also may become aware of these events as they happen and you can add them to your list. So for instance, um, fighting with your significant other, that might cause problems. Dreams, dreams are a huge one for me, right? Um, financial distress. Uh, any type of difficult feedback maybe you get from work, right? Or maybe jealousy, maybe someone else's big happy event gets a promotion and you're upset because they got a promotion. Trigger events are normally things we have no control over. They come whether we want them to or not. That's just part of being human. That's part of being here on earth. That's part of experiencing life is that you're going to have these events that are going to cause big emotions for us. Big emotions are awesome. That's, again, part of being human. And you can start to see how these trigger events then lead to some of these trigger feelings. These trigger feelings then lead to these slip behaviors. These slip behaviors can lead to our acting out. So, for instance, like I said, early on in recovery, dreams were a massive problem for me. Um, I would have dreams. My dreams are usually super violent. They usually involve kidnapping of some sort or vehicles blowing up or people dying. Um, I haven't, I haven't had dreams like this for years. I will say that. But when I first started and I started having these dreams when I was little, but when I first started in recovery, these dreams were huge. Um, I would have the dream and I would wake up and I'd have a lot of anxiety. I'd feel a lot of loneliness, a lot of sadness because people would have died. Um, I would also feel like a really big loss of control, right? So my trigger event, level one, was the dream. Level two, I had these trigger feelings. And again, I didn't really have good coping mechanism for these trigger feelings. And so I would try to find a way to escape from them. That's what I call my slip behaviors. I would try to escape. And I would escape into reading. Um, a lot of times in the middle of the night, I'd wake up and just start reading uh, that reading usually was something drastically different, right? So it was um, romance novels or sometimes erotica, just really something different to change my mindset, get me out of that idea. Those slip behaviors, again, I'm not crossing a bottom line, but I'm really darn close. And those might lead to me actually reaching out on um, Craigslist or somewhere looking for a connection. It might lead to masturbation, uh, maybe just comfort, trying to feel uh, comfort or things like that. Or um, I remember one in particular, I had a dream about an ex-boyfriend that had died in the dream, right? And so then I got on Facebook and was like stalking. Like I got on everything I could possibly think of to try to find out, like, is he sick? Is he dying? Is, you know, all these types of things. And it led to this obsession um, for a few days, which then led to me 
reaching out, which then caused problems and all sorts of stuff. So you start to see these kind of pathways. That's one of the reasons I love leveling our behavior this way, because we can start to see the cycles that we have. Now, on the worksheet, I've given you some examples in each of those, and I gave you some through here too. So, And then you have a blank one where you can go through and figure out what are your bottom lines, right? What are your bottom line behaviors? What are your level four behaviors? What are your slip behaviors that lead to those acting out behaviors? What are your trigger feelings that sometimes lead to those slip behaviors? And then what are the trigger events that can get you there as well? So I bring this up because if you have not in the last six months evaluated your reevaluated your bottom line behaviors, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. Like I told you originally that, you know, internet dating was on my bottom line behaviors. It's not anymore. Like I, I needed to figure out a way to meet people. And so I dipped my toe in once and it was bad. And so I had to pull my foot back out. But I've again, you know, dipped my toe in before and been able to handle it in an adult way and in a way that doesn't become obsessive, doesn't come pro- cause problems for me. And that's become a way that I've met people and, and been dating. So it doesn't have to always be that way. You can evaluate things. The idea and the question here is, again, from the beginning, in order to live the life I want to be living, what behaviors or relational, sexual or relational behaviors do I need to stop? And as you evaluate, you might need to look at these behaviors and they might change. You, you know, Going to lunch alone with a male coworker might not be a slip behavior for you anymore. It's not for me. I can go to lunch with males alone, coworkers or not, friends, whatever, and not f- fall into that fantasy and that deprivation of, oh man, you know, this might look like we're dating or something. That doesn't even occur to me anymore. But it was something that for a period of time I had to really stop. Um, so because I just hit my seven year mark, right? Um, I've gone through this list again for myself and made some changes, um, changes to my bottom lines, changes to my slip behaviors, changes to my trigger feelings, changes to my trigger events. And it's been good. It's been really good to kind of reevaluate and remind myself that the sobriety is the list of things that I don't do recovery is the list of things that I am doing for myself. And so it's important that we go through and we understand where we stand in those two areas and make sure that we are making progress, that we are moving forward. I know a lot of people who after seven years kind of drop out of the recovery circles and they drop out of meetings. They maybe don't sponsor. They don't have sponsors. They aren't working a program or steps or anything like that anymore. And I've always worried that that would be me, <laughs> that I would drop out. Um, well, at one point in time, this was a couple years ago, I used the statistics that I could find around um, alcoholics, right? So in alcoholism, I used around AA, I used the statistics about who stays and how long do they stay and what are the averages. And I used all of those statistics and I applied them to sex addiction. And the statistic that I remember the most that stands out to me that I continually remind myself is one in 18. 
one in 18 women that come into recovery will stay in recovery. One in 18. That is heart crushing to me. Because these are women, these aren't women that don't want recovery. These are women that started recovery. These are women that got into the uh, A program somewhere and learned something and it was too difficult to stay. And there's a lot of reasons that might be the case. There's a lot of reasons why. There's a lot of reasons why we have false starts, why we start things and don't finish, why we can't stay committed. I mean, there's so many reasons and I'm, I'm not, I don't blame anybody because when we peel back that behavior of sex addiction, we leave this raw, vulnerable, vulnerable person. And if you're not prepared to deal with that, it might just feel safer to stay acting out. There's a lot of reasons. But I also want you to know that that doesn't have to be you. That no matter how many times you've started a program and maybe not finished or not got, got as far as you want, or maybe, you know, you start, but it just wasn't the time for you. You weren't willing to come out of denial. Or maybe you were in a relationship with children that just meant you had to stick what you were doing. That's fine. Whatever it was, is fine. If you're here listening to this now, it's because you're wanting and searching and ready to do something different. So I challenge you today to really evaluate your bottom lines. What behaviors do you, in order to live the life you want to be living, what behaviors sexually or relationally do you need to stop? Maybe it's, I need to stop having one night stands. Maybe it's, I need to stop prostituting myself. Maybe it's, I need to get out of the abusive situation that I'm in with a significant other. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's time to start taking that next step and to move yourself forward. Without that forward momentum, you're just going to stay where you are. I encourage my coaching clients to go through this, especially in the beginning, we go through it about every three months, this kind of uh, decision of what's working for me, what's not working for me. Sometimes we add things. Sometimes we take things away. Sometimes we totally change the focus. Sometimes, you know, we just reevaluate and make different decisions because as we evolve, our recovery has to evolve. As we change, our recovery has to change. So download the worksheet, look at it today, decide. If you don't want to do this one, that's fine. Do a different one, right? Figure out something that is going to work for you so that you can move forward to the next uh, level in your life and you can level up your recovery to the next level. I hope this is helpful for you today. I hope that um, you're able to really look and look at what that next level is for you because I know that all of you are amazing people. And it's time to realize some of that greatness and amazingness inside of you. So thanks for listening today. I want you to remember that no matter how far you've gone, no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how terrible you feel, no matter how many times you've tried to stay sober and haven't, no matter where you are and how many false starts you've had in your life, and no matter how many successes you've had, even if you're seven years sober, like I am, or more, you are still worth recovery, 100% worth it. And you're worth putting the time and the dedication into to stay in recovery, whatever that looks like for you, because that can be different, whatever that looks like for you. I want you to know I think about you, I pray about you, and I love you. 
so much. Um, I hope you have a fantastic day and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.